Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast and Blog. Thanks for listening. Happy Sunday. Oh man, we had a great session in my Night Below campaign last night. I'm brewing up some coffee, getting ready to talk about it, but I'm telling y'all it was... Uh, Everyone walked away satisfied. It had everything that you want from old school D&D. It had uh, dramatic dice rolls, uh, the players coming up with creative ideas, uh, using creative uh, creative use of spells, just the right magic item in the right situation. Um... It seems like every five seconds I was having to make some kind of rule on the fly, being a true referee, and great, uh, great creatures and locations. It was why you play the game last night, so I cannot wait to talk to you all about it. If you all haven't listened to this show before on Sundays, I'm talking about my Night Below campaign. I'm running the huge stuffed second edition era night below box set and i'm using first edition ad and kind of heavily modified really using a lot of bx mixed in with it as the the base system for it so um we didn't play last week so we were all itching to get to it and it's all been building up to this this orc battle down in this in this cavern and so, uh, it was exciting. Still coming off the high from it, you know, that natural high that gaming gives you. Before I get started on it, I actually had a couple of call-ins to the show. Um, I don't typically get call-ins to this show. Um, it's usually for hump day or top three Tuesdays or stuff like that. So, let's listen to those. I'll be right back. Hey, what's up, Froth? It's Joe Richter again, man. I just want to say that I personally love your session recaps. I just got into them, but I think session recaps are awesome. It actually makes me kind of want to start my own separate anchor podcast to give recaps of our sessions that we do over at Wheeler Woe. That might be pretty fun and just anchor just seems to make it so easy, man. And I love this call-in feature. It's my favorite feature out of any of them. So keep up the great work. Have a good one. And peace out. Somebody said that the Fiend Folio was not a good monster manual. Oh, my gosh. Those guys need to be bad things. They need that claw-claw bite thing from the guest you were talking about, which was very funny. Uh, Great episodes. It's funny how people do some of the session reports and they get shy about it or don't think it's uh, as good good as cast, but uh, I don't know. I enjoy them because it's kind of fun to listen to everybody else's trials and tribulations and successes and fun things that they do. So keep them coming, Jeremy. So we heard there from Joe Richter from the Wheeler Woe podcast as well as Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor. And uh, first, uh, Joe, appreciate you listening. Thanks as always. And, uh, yeah, as far as Anchor goes, we always have room for one more, so just do it. But I'm going to talk more about that voice feature, um, the voice messaging system, 
later in the episode, but yeah, it's what really what really separates Anchor and gives it its own thing because being able to, to call in and have a conversation with people, whether it's to podcast you're listening to or to your listeners or just back and forth with with other people podcasting, it's it's awesome. Um, it's really helped to build the uh, legendary Anchorites into uh, you know a group of friends here and. Um, it, it helps us kind of cross pollinate each other's podcasts with ideas and it, I love it. So, and Tim, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that love theme folio, but there are, it's, there, there are, it's detractors out there, believe it or not. But, um, I believe even when it came out, there was like a terrible review for it from Ed Greenwood, no less. Um, and dragon, if I'm remembering correctly, um, Anyway, uh, yeah, it, it seems weird that they would bash it a little bit, even in their own magazine, but I'll double-check that and see if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. And I appreciate, yeah, you know, maybe I am a little, what he's talking about as far as the session recap stuff is sometimes, you know, it's it's hard to gauge how a podcast goes over. And I should know better than to have any kind of self-doubt or, negative self-talk but I guess I just go from my own experience sometimes uh, session recaps can be exciting sometimes less than and uh, I hope this is listable I mean people listen to it so I shouldn't be too hard on it but uh, thanks for listening Tim I appreciate it yeah so one of the reasons I think about you know how people respond to session recaps is because there's that feeling I mentioned before like you're coming in the middle of a movie you know my game's been running over a year and I've done a bunch of recaps and everything. So, you know, you might feel like you don't know where you are when you start, but this time, this session, you don't got to worry about that because everything's just been leading up to a big battle with some orcs. You know, they, the party has been investigating all these disappearances in this area, found these groups of bandits and cultists and everything that are aligned with, humanoid band of orcs the blood skull tribe that have these bloody skulls on their shields and stuff and the party has found these massive double doors down in this cavern they know that there are a bunch of orcs behind it and all paths lead there so um last session they were making their way back to the caverns uh, encountered some of the worst monsters ever created. And now I'm seeing people tell me they love them just like I thought maybe. <laughs> or not love them, but people trying to find the, the good of them. The Vulchlings. Just a lazy, a lazy monster by uh, Gygax from the Monster Manual 2. So anyway, you can listen to my opinion on Vulchlings in the last recap if you're so inclined. But anyway, the party... Was not at full power. Um, Cyril the Assassin was missing. Xanril the Cleric was missing. And the other Cleric, Father Marcos, was going to be late. So the party was only four deep as they went back into the caverns. And the first thing I had happen was, well, back before a lot of the characters died, there was uh, one of the characters, Moshi, had a real fondness. She was a half-orc and she had a fondness for chickens. As friends and as food. And her prized chicken was one named Henrietta that uh, 
loved her, but really had a distaste for another a character that um, Father Marcos, the the player that plays Father Marcos, played before before that character died. So no one knew what had happened to Henrietta. They had encountered these bugbears down in the cavern. So I thought about bringing Henrietta back, you know, and and so this they hear this cluck 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 cluck. And it's this chicken just there in the subterranean caverns. It looked like it's been through hell and back, you know, kind of covered in dirt, trailing a spider web behind her. And even though um, the the player that played Moshi is playing uh, Cass now, and so even though, though Cass has never met this chicken, has no idea about it, the, the chicken runs to Cass and just kind of half flies, you know, into into her arms. And, uh, so obviously from a metagame sense, she's overjoyed <laughs> to have Henrietta back, but only for a moment. We'll get to that. But anyway, so my idea was to have this chicken come back and for it to, um, have this just intense instinctive dislike for father Marcos, just kind of bringing that humor back into it. But alas, Henrietta didn't make it long enough for even the, you know, the 40 minutes or whatever it took Father Marcus to join the game. <laughs> but we'll get to that, like I said. But anyway, so there's this chicken with them. Henrietta the chicken. So we find the four party members that were there for right now. Um, Taryn the ranger. Um, Puck the dwarf thief. Um, Ariel the gnome illusionist. And Cass the human fighter, along with the chicken standing at the double doors and this is where they start trying to play it on what to do. And this is one of the great things about early D and D cause sure your, your magic items and spells and all that comes into it, but there's also always this kind of planning and plotting and creative ideas that seems to come up. I'm not saying it doesn't come up in other games or other editions of D and D by any stretch, but it's a real fixture of the old school games this kind of creative problem solving and hatching these <clears throat> wild plans and everything so they, they know there's a bunch of orcs in there they don't know how many but they know it's a bunch and so they're trying to think of what to do well the illusionist has a change self spell so one of the ideas is changing the, the gnome changing herself to appear like a female orc they also have an invisibility spell so the first plan the first go around um they decide to change the turn the thief invisible to kind of accompany the orc kind of as backup to help if things go sour <laughs> which of course they, they do <laughs> and uh the Ariel changes herself to look like a female orc and then takes Henrietta the chicken. And so the idea is for her to go in the cavern, let the chicken kind of loose to try to create a diversion and say, you know, it's dinner, you know, dinner, grab dinner, you know, because uh, the gnome can speak orcish. And I guess they wanted to just try to have her blend in like she's a member of the tribe or something. Meanwhile, let Puck the thief be invisible in there and, and investigate. So... Hey, it's as good a plan as, as any, right? So they they open the door and they can see with their infravision there there are sixteen orcs just in this first cavern, you know, cavern of the 
orc lair alone. And they also have three cave lizards, each like, you know, 10 feet long, like pack animal size. And so Ariel comes in, lets the chicken loose and is like, dinner, dinner. And the orcs just swarm the chicken and Henrietta, it, it's almost as if she should never have been brought back because it's instantly neck snap. Orc takes a bite just straight out of the raw chicken. Bye-bye, Henrietta. And you can you can feel Cass go, no, at the door, you know. <laughs> kind of the rest of them are standing outside just kind of trying to get an idea of what happened. But Cass's heart gets broken. The player playing Cass, her heart gets broken again with the instant death of Henrietta. So Puck's in there. The dwarf thief is invisible. And it, so it's just Ariel, you know, altered to look like a an orc in there. And so the orcs are like, who are you? You're no blood skull. And I had the orcs almost be dog-like. And that one came up behind Ariel and sniffed her butts. Like, oh, you're too clean. You're definitely no blood skull orc. Who are you? You know, and one of them put a knife to her, to her throat. So Puck had to come visible and backstab the one that was threatening Ariel. And stabbed right through the, you know, killed it. And so from there, you know, you can almost hear the Yakety Sax Benny Hill music start up as they're they're going to have to get the hell out of there. The orcs win initiative and start tossing spears and everything. And one of the orcs rolls a one. So I had that be a, you know, that fumble mean that the orc threw the spear and it actually killed one of the other orcs. And they try to grab Ariel, but miraculously missed her. And so they ran out of the, 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 um, the cavern, the party shut the doors. And, um, you know, it's kind of a catch your breath moment. So a couple of orcs got taken out by that, but the rest of them, they can hear them all coming into the cavern and all setting up guard, you know, being very, uh, you know, organized about it. And they, they hear one huge deep voice saying, make, giving orders and it, and this boom, boom, is it's riding this huge cave lizard and, um, uh, the, the creature, which I'll get to later. It's not a normal orc. So around this time, the player that plays Father Marcos joined the group and uh, got caught up on what had happened. And the party wisely decides, well, it's probably best not to you know, press the, the fight right this second because they're all really organized and alert right now. So they decide to go camp it out and, and, and wait um, to, to maybe things calm down. Uh, and try it again try again the next day come up with another plan so it didn't work out that great but uh, it worked out a lot better than it could have because if they had uh, gra- if they had been able to grab Ariel disguised as the, the the female orc there it could have ended really badly but it really ended badly for that chicken uh, thought it might, bringing her back might be fun she lasted about five minutes until she was just uh, torn to pieces so anyway the party uh, made their way. They decided not to wisely decided not to try to camp again in the subterranean cavern. So they made their way out, um, back out to the outskirts of the, the where the forest meets the uh, meets the um, kind of scrub area, I guess you could say, scrub plains, and, and camps there. Uh, 
didn't encounter anything overnight. So basically the next morning they're, they're making their way back and they're, they're in the dead of winter. Now it's freezing rain, um, miserable, very cold. Um, it's almost nicer in the caverns than it is outside at this point. So they make their way back and they're find themselves back at the double doors again. Only now they're five deep cause they got father Marcos, the cleric with them. And so again, they're plotting, planning, and, and everything else. And so I'm occasionally rolling a random encounter because they're not just going to just stand there for forever without a chance of something happening. And I end up rolling a random encounter, this time, uh, again, using the messing around with the Monster Manual 2 tables. And I get one from the Fiend Folio this time. And it's actually a pretty cool monster, uh, the Giant Hornet. So this, uh, well, it's got a you know, notable stinger as you might imagine. But the other main thing about this is it's got really low AC and it's a low, lot lower AC flying than if it's on the ground, which, uh, obviously you're just thinking about a Hornet in real life, you know, flying around, it makes it really hard to swipe. It's the same kind of thing when it's flying around here, it makes it really hard to hit. So not so much the exoskeleton as it is just that de dexterity and nimble flying ability of it. Um, but the only thing about it is there, it's a very low number you can encounter. In fact, I believe in the Fiend Folio, it's just you only encounter one at a time. On the tables, it was one to two. And so it ended up just being one giant hornet that they had to face. They had a time trying to, to shoot it because it's flying. And so um, there were actually a couple of natural ones from the party. One I had break uh, the string of the bow of Terran. And the other... Um, Cass accidentally shot Father Marcos trying to keep a bead on the, the giant hornet flying around. But Ariel the Illusionist was able to color spray the, the hornet, which temporarily blinded it, which just led to it just flying around like a really angry hornet. And after they hit it another couple of times, the hornet just ended up flying back the way it came. Uh, you know, a hornet's not going to really live in these caverns, but since there's a tunnel opening out into the forest i just had it to where the hornet had flown down in there you know maybe like it got in someone's car you know accidentally and was just kind of flying around haphazardly and crazed so after that little brief diversion with the giant hornet the party went back to preparing of how to get into the um the orc lair and what they're going to do and from here out, y'all, I got to tell you, it was completely, it was already had been fun up at this point, if you can't tell. But from here out, it was an epic, epic battle. And I'm going to get right back into that in just a second. Less than a minute, I'll be right back after we get a word on Anchor. And now, a word from our sponsors. All right, so with what happened next... A lot of it has to do with just random items that they'd found before, you know, because they had found a potion of animal control. And I, this was back in the Great Rockdale, these other caves. And I'd rolled and it ended up being lizards and amphibians, what it can control. And so it's the kind of thing that you may never end up using, you know, but here, you know, they remember that they have it. And then they remember that in this orc cavern, there are the, at least 16 that they could see, um, along with three huge cave lizards. So it's like, oh yeah, we got that potion of 
blizzard control. So they got that in the back of their mind. And then Father Marcus also has a protection scroll versus evil, you know, 10 foot radius. And now the protection scrolls are a little bit different in AD&D and BX, but they had found it when I was using some BX mixed into this 2E adventure, you know, I just mix stuff in interchangeably with these old editions. Um, and I highly recommend others do the same, you know, even with OSR games or whatever. It's all, that's the beauty of it. You can use it all with anything, but, um, so there is an actual, there isn't actually a scroll of, there are scrolls of protection in AD&D, but there's not a scroll of protection versus evil, at least not in the core DMG. So the way the protection scrolls work, it's pretty cool, you know, because any class can use a protection scroll. Um, I can't think of another, you know, magical sort of scroll or spell or thing like that where everybody can use it. But, um, and so they know that the orcs are evil. And so their idea is, well, they can at least keep the orcs out of melee with them by using this protection scroll and all kind of stay it in that. 10 foot radius. Meanwhile, they can use the animal control potion to work on the lizards. Now there's no language. They can't really command the lizards, but as it says in the DMG, they can create an emotional response. So they come up with the plan of they're going to first, they had laid out all this oil in the doorway in case, in case the orcs pursue them out into the cavern they can light up, light the oil and at least delay the orcs or whatever that way if they come pursuing them. But they will all stand in the protection circle and just take their chances, you know, fighting ranged back and forth with the orcs because the protection, the protection versus evil scroll will not prevent spells and missile weapons from evil characters, but it will prevent them from attacking a melee. So they're going to take their chances ranged. And then they're also going to create, at least at first, an angry emotional response from the, like a rage filled emotional response on the cave lizards. And the way that the animal control potion works, at least in first edition AD and D is the number you can affect is based really on their size and weight. Like you can affect a lot more rats, for example, than you can large creatures. And the cave lizards are quite large, so it ends up being a D4 <clears throat> that they, that uh, um, is actually Puck that has a potion that Puck will be able to affect. Rolls a D4, it comes up three, which is how many are in the the main cavern. Now he can only see two through the keyhole, so he's going to have to start by just affecting two of their emotions. So he goes ahead and drinks the potion and causes this rage, uncontrollable rage of the cave lizards. Now they're tied to ropes that are bolted to the wall. And so I, in my first of many, you know, just random rules, you know, rulings, I roll some just percentage dice to see <clears throat> if they can break, <clears throat> excuse me, if the lizards can break three of their bonds. And um, one of them does, the other one's still tied up and just raging. And so then at that point, once they do that, they open the doors, and so they're in the doorway in this protection circle, 
16 orcs, three cave lizards in this main chamber. One of the lizards, like I said, breaks free. It's going crazy. And so it kills a couple of orcs right away. The orcs are, so a bunch of the orcs have to focus on that cave lizard and kill it. While about half the orcs start making ranged volleys towards the doorway. Meanwhile, the party's just pew, 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 you know, shooting at them. So the party gets some, takes some hits, gives some hits, um, basically exchanging fire. And uh, the, some of the, the orcs kill one of the cave lizards. There's another cave lizard that was off to the side that's starting to wake up now and, and, and not knowing what's going on. So the other cave lizard I'm rolling random tries to see if it breaks free, which it eventually does. And so the party has, by this time, finished off all the orcs, except for one that ran further down in the cave to warn the rest of the tribe. And they can hear the one that ran off saying all these names like Ogrekek, Ababrekek, Ababrekek. And so they know that there's these named orcs leadership somewhere deeper in the cave. They also heard um, reference to the the female orcs and the babies and stuff. So they know there's this whole tribe, you know, deeper in there. So anyway, the two, after they finished off all the orcs in the main room, they can hear the big bad, which I'll get to in a minute, coming with some more reinforcements down the hallway. But the first thing they got to worry about is these two angry cave lizards, both of which now break free from their bonds and come charging at them in the doorway. And... The lizards are not evil, you know, they're neutral, so, and they're very, very angry by result of the potion, so they have no problem getting into the um, circle of protection and get into melee with the party, get some hits, you know, so it's a back and forth with them. From here, the, um, oh, I should mention to back up the, during the back and forth, the range attacks, Ariel, the illusionist, also got off a uh, a color spray at one point and put several of the orcs to sleep as well. So that helped. So now they've got the two cave lizards in melee with them, basically at the entrance of the, you know, the, the in the open doorway there. And so now Puck comes up with the idea of making the lizards feel intense jealousy. Because coming down the hallway with reinforcements is an Orog. So an Orog is not in 1st edition AD&D. It's a 2nd edition invention. Which is basically a half-orc, half-ogre. And uh, this one... What was its name? I don't know if I want to spend too much time looking for it. I think I can find it pretty quick. It had a very Orog sort of name. That's why I look it up. Oh, Garunzer. G-A-R-U-N-D-Z-E-R. Garunzer. And Garunzer rides a huge cave lizard that's like 18 feet long. And it describes it as unusually aggressive. It is And uh, Garunzer has trained this lizard to stomp people. So it has two attacks around, a bite and a stomp. And Garunzer has filed the lizard's teeth down to dagger-like sharpness and um, has also made crude etchings of elves having their internal organs removed 
onto the cave lizard. So it's quite a sight to see the orog coming in. Garuns are the orog riding this cave lizard. But anyway, Puck the thief decides to make the other lizards feel an intense jealousy. So the way I rule that is they they're jealous of the the um, lizard that Garunzer rides around. So they go running back away from the party and start attacking the, the main cave lizard that, that Garunzer is riding, you know, out of intense jealousy. So that delays those orcs into having to try to fight the cave lizards again and all this. Meanwhile, the party's taking range attacks, you know, just down the hallway, not caring what they hit. Long story short with that, it takes the, the orcs and the um, and Garunzer a minute to kill the two jealous cave lizards. Meanwhile, the rest of the orcs get taken out, but not Garunzer and his <laughs> not Garunzer and his cave lizard. And the cave lizard's very fast, so they charge at the party. Now of course Orog can't make a melee attack into it, but the cave lizard has no problem. And this is where the party had been doing great. They hadn't suffered any, you know, they hadn't suffered too much damage. They'd taken some hits, but here their luck ran out a little bit because I rolled randomly to see who the cave lizard would attack. And of course it's poor Ariel, the tiny little gnome, the tiny little unarmored gnome. <laughs> First it bites her and then it stomps her. And, uh, Ariel, she's only been in a few sessions, uh, you know, but uh, Ariel didn't make it. She, the, the, the massive, heavy foot of the cave lizard came down on her skull, and they just saw bone and brain come out the sides as it just curb-stomped Ariel right down in front of them. And uh, so Ariel died right then and there. Garunzer throws a spear striking true on father marcos and uh, sensing more orc leadership coming down the hall the party decides well hell we've they killed 16 in the main cabin then another like nine orcs and three cave lizards with this creative approach they'd made and so they decide to run which is which was smart um, they had made a hell of a first dent, you know, major dent into the, um, into the orc lair. So they, you know, run away and close the doors back up, leaving Garunzer, um, there riding his, um, his cave lizard in that chamber filled with dead orcs. So, um, it was, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how well I described it, but it was so great because there were all these, you know, mixed into that, there were all these roles. I had to decide what, what orcs were going to try to control the cave lizards and which were going to try to keep the, the party from coming in, you know, keep the party at bay. There were, you know, crits and fumbles and, and things to, to manage that way. I had to think of how to adjudicate the animal control potion <clears throat> the timing of the reinforcements, you know, how the cave lizards reacted to each other. And, um, so it was, it was really cool that, you know, these random kind of items that 
that the like the the potion of animal animal control for lizards and amphibians these kind of random items that you know in, in some games could go for years without having any use or whatever ended up being the absolute perfect thing they needed in this situation that's one of the things i love is when the random roll turns out right or that one treasure you get ends up being the ideal thing for a certain situation it was so great and honestly with ariel dying you know even the player didn't mind because it was just it was such a great battle so so much you know if you're gonna die why not die to a you know getting stomped by a giant lizard so yeah it had everything um problem solving cool items spells flying everywhere cool foes and uh, and uh, even a player death and or you know character death and you know ariel the player that played ariel didn't hesitate i just started seeing those you know character getting rolled up in the right hand column there on roll 20 so uh, there'll be a new character next time the party decided they're not going to camp down in the cavern so they closed up the door and you know fled back out towards the uh, towards the cave entrance got out to the forest went to the edge of the forest where they've been camping and camped out and as they we were kind of getting to the end so um, I decided I was just going to have them do their you know their sleep and that's where we'd end it and then I roll a random encounter in the in, in the in the morning uh, during the second watch but because they're no longer, uh, they weren't actually in the forest, they were kind of more in a civilized kind of area, relatively civilized area of the, the Heronshire where the campaign takes place, the encounter tables are more merciful, and they end up encountering just some merchants. And I decide on the fly that these are just some merchants that look like they're completely lost, like they've gotten off the road, and... Um, and so the you know the the party is like Terran's one of the ones for example that was keeping watch. Terran's got the bow ready to shoot him, and then sees this merchant come out of the scrub, just looking like completely lost. And um, this allowed me to have a great way to bring in the ne the new character, um, the player that was playing Ariel um, is going to be playing because they decided as they're rolling up and we're finishing up, they're already you know excited to roll up a new character. Um, they said they're going to play a magic user. So my thought then was just have this magic user be traveling with the merchants, the merchants to be incompetent and, uh, the magic user to, you know, we'll do, we'll role play it out at the beginning of next session, but the magic user will see these adventurers and really prefer a life of adventure to traveling around with a bunch of incompetent merchants. And it'll be an easy way to bring a new, a new PC into the group. So anyway, everybody, we all. I mean, you could tell, sometimes you can tell when a session goes over well, because we were all like, everybody would really enjoyed it. The time really flew. The It was edge of the seat. It was everybody involved. Um, it was fun, exciting, great, great, great stuff. And so everybody uh, left the session feeling really good about it. And they should have, because, I mean, small party, and they took out 25 orcs and three cave lizards. I mean, they kicked ass i mean they did lose a player but um at the same time i i was impressed they couldn't have done any better that you know that's one good thing one thing i can say about my group is they they get creative they often have these creative ideas and 
one dice roller would go right or they'll just have that perfect thing that works and it's just such a special thing about uh, classic D&D how that all works so really looking forward to next session I know everybody else is we'll find out more about who this new PC is going to be this new magic user um, next session and the party presumably will try to press their advantage into the uh, the orc layer and it's because they only made it kind of into that first chamber. They don't know what else lurks there. They know there's some leadership. They know there's some, you know, female orcs and children in there. So maybe there's some moral decisions or something. Although I can pretty much guess how that's going to go, knowing my party. I don't think it's going to be such a moral quandary. But we'll find out. But anyway, um, I appreciate y- y- y'all listening. Um, if you've got any comments, as, uh, you heard earlier, it's got this awesome system here with anchor where you can call in and leave a message and tell me how I'm doing or call into any of my shows, you know, and, um, the next you'll hear from me is going to be a top three Tuesday. I've got some more great listener call-ins for some ideas on that. So you can look for that to be out on Tuesday on the thought eater podcast. You can also message me on my email, frothsoft, frothsof at gmail.com. Check out the Thought Eater blog at frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com. Huge shout out to my Patreons backing me on Patreon. Uh, appreciate y'all tremendously. It's patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. It's only a dollar a month. Only a buck a month to support all that Froth is doing. All right, Logan. Get us out of here. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade Zeroing in on your mental trade Gonna help you escape from the grind Thought eater gonna blow your mind Boom, 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 boom,